This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, welcome back to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. I'm Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at FreightWaves and your host for the show. This is episode 17, and one that I'm really, really excited about. We're going to be talking about one of those great retailers, maybe the, the great retailer of the 21st century. That's, of course, Amazon. And we're going to be talking about Amazon with someone who spent almost 20 years there, helping build their fulfillment infrastructure, their logistics network, uh, knows it better than maybe anyone uh, outside of Amazon right now. And we're going to talk to him about why he has taken that knowledge away from Amazon and the, some of the learnings that he's had there. And he is building a new company called Shipium to help fight back against Amazon and empower other retailers to help compete against them. His name is Jason Murray. He is the founder at Shipium. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today. Great to be here. Thank you. And Jason, I got to take a moment to thank my sponsor. I'm, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for uh, bringing you in a little early. But ArcBest is more than logistics. Whatever you do, whatever you ship, ArcBest makes it easier for you to do business. ArcBest combines reliable capacity, innovative technology, and trusted relationships to take the complexity out of your supply chain and keep your shipments moving. That's what makes ArcBest more than logistics. Okay, Jason, uh, let's just start high level. Let's start with Shipium. What is it and why did you start it? Uh, yeah, so so I think um, you said it best. I was at Amazon for 19 years. I, I ended up building a lot of the supply chain technology that powers Prime. And um, over the course of that, you know, there was there was lots of things to figure out in terms of how to position inventory, how to how to route inventory through the network, and even how to how to manage the carrier interactions at the end. And um, after leaving Amazon a couple years out, I, I just started looking around the rest of the market and it was very clear that there was a huge gap in terms of, of what's needed to actually run an effective customer driven supply chain in the e-commerce segment. And, um, myself and my co-founder, Mac Brown decided to start Shipium to, to bring that technology to retailers who want to, uh, provide a premier premium solution, premium type supply chain to, to meet their customers' needs. I definitely want to talk about Mac uh, and both of you are kind of beginning at Amazon and how you, you split off and started building a very, very similar things at two different companies. I definitely want to get into that in a moment. But let's let's stick with Shipium just here for a second and let's focus on your target customer because uh, you're going after retailers. Are, are you going after online retailers? Or are you going after uh, retailers with a lot of stores? What is the target customer for Shipium? So we have uh, really leaned into this notion. Shipium, uh, the way that supply chain and e-commerce work is, is when you have more physical assets, more warehouses, more fulfillment centers, more um, you know stores in some cases, I think that gives you a lot more room to basically assets to provide a better customer experience. And Shipium's goal is really to provide the technology that helps you leverage those assets in a way that that will improve your both the cost structure for your company as well as 
as um, the customer experience. And so I, I think we're we're leaning into companies that are complex enough that they have some they have some amount of fulfillment centers, stores, warehouses, et cetera. And we really want to help them. We want to give them the technology they need to actually optimize and leverage those assets. Yeah, that certainly became apparent right throughout the pandemic that the companies with assets that leverage them correctly, that it really that had built the infrastructure up and it invested in the technology to ensure that they could operate BOPIS and operate ship from store um, operations mm-hmm. and do curbside, all of the things that customers fell in love with over the last year. Those are the winners, right? The, the Best Buys, the uh, Home Depot, uh, Target, Walmart, they're all the, the winners of this pandemic. Let's 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 go to uh, the early days at Amazon. Let's say you you and Max start there. I think you know late '90s. Uh, Prime is not on the forefront, not yet. I don't think you guys are thinking about that. Talk to me about the early days there. Um, you, you know what what the goals were at Amazon. How you walk me through like the, the continuous improvements that you learned at Amazon that I'm sure you're bringing into Shipium. Yeah, I mean, early days there was just a lot to invent. You know, I think I think we take for granted now that there's so many options out there for doing e-commerce fulfillment. Um, my early days were spent working on the fulfillment center technology at Amazon and kind of thinking through how do you structure a building, the processes, and the technology to run that thing uh, super efficiently. And so we we spent a lot of time on kind of the concept of where are the constraints in the building. Um, you know, how do you lay out inventory, the, the core processes of receive, pick, pack, sort, et cetera. Um, but, but, you know, honestly, at the, in those days, it was, it was, I, I felt like the most innovative or the new thing was really taking these physical processes and logistics and, and seamlessly bringing technology into them. So they were, they were kind of, they were kind of, it was, it was part of the process to develop the actual physical process, the actual physical layout of the building, et cetera, as well as the software that was going to run it. And, and so a very innovative time as we all kind of work together to, to build all that stuff out. And tell me, okay, so I've been, I've been thinking this from the outside is right. You stayed at Amazon and you spent 20 years there building this, something that was focused on speed. Uh, it was focused on the customer, obviously through, through Jeff Bezos as a moniker, but speed was the ultimate goal where at Zulily, Mac went and built something that was, I think, more focused on certainty, on on hitting, uh, you know, laying out expectations that could be hit. But they weren't always about speed. I remember back in the early 2010s, they were one of the fastest growing e-commerce companies in the country, but they were delivering things in two to three weeks. Tell me, you know, tell me about the difference and the dynamics between those learnings, between you focusing on speed and him focusing on certainty. I mean, what what have you learned between the two of you that you've, you're bringing to Shipium? I think it's just... Uh customers are very um people buy for different reasons and and i think when you think about the the calculus in their head there's a lot of things going on when they make a decision about what to buy i mean it's it's like what is the product like what's the cost what's the um you know how long am i how long is it going to take for me to get it am i going to get it in time all that stuff goes into the buying decision and you know i think amazon really leaned into fast uh, with Prime, and you know, you're you're talking to a segment that's willing. You're, you're by default talking to a customer segment that's willing to pay the the you know hundred dollars a year for the subscription and um, really values the speed. I think what you end up sacrificing though is selection and price in some cases. You know, because in in there's there are scenarios where it just does not make sense to get um, to be, you can't make the the margins on the product work in a prime type like scenario. And I think Zulily really leaned into the small seller, the boutiques, the, um, the customer that 
that wanted to be presented with new options and, and curated in a certain way. And, and they were able to kind of capture the capture a certain segment that was buying for different reasons, you know, very price sensitive, very, um, you know, looking for something new, et cetera. But, but I think you made an excellent point that in addition, Mac was focused on certainty, you know, and it, and it was because customers, they do care about speed, but they also care about knowing when they're going to get it. And so they had an idea, like, I'm going to have it in time for this event I'm waiting for. Then it's absolutely fine. Like I'll, I'll take the lower price. I'll buy it. And that's great. Do you think there's one that's more important than the other uh, speed or certainty right now, at least? Um, I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, just, just for the majority of things out there, I think, I think, all things being equal, speed wins. And so Zuli was able to capture a part of the market, but they're obviously not um, the, the giant that Amazon is. And I think it's very clear why Amazon's winning. It's, it's fast and free delivery um, that also has accurate timing with it. And those things together make a huge, are a, are a huge part of the shopping experience. I, I like to say the shopping experience is the shipping experience. And, and I think, I think that's very clear in that customers want that guaranteed delivery. They want fast delivery. They, they don't want to pay for it. And, and when it's all in place, people are going to buy more. So I think, I think in general, fast and free is super important. Yeah. I, I keep hearing whenever I think of uh, fast and free delivery, I think of you know the word magic, like the things that go on right now do seem like magic. I heard Bomb Kim, the, uh, founder and CEO of Kupang in South Korea, he said like he wanted to create the rocket system to work like magic. He wanted people to not understand how they could buy something at 11 p.m. and it'd be on their doorstep at 7 p.m. or at 7 a.m. Rather, Jason, you said in the in the Business Insider article I read that they kind of did a, a cover for you. They, they You talked about you wanted to demystify the magic behind Amazon's logistics and how they deliver the things. What is the magic? I mean, in my opinion, a big part of that, that soup that magic soup that makes Amazon go is the technology that links everything together. And I think, um, you know, Amazon had this, this Amazon is a very vertical company and all stages of the pipeline are coordinated. And we definitely took advantage of that. Like the fact that, you know, the, you have the website data, which is driving what you have the website, which is driving what people are buying, which is driving, um, what the supply chain is doing. And, and we, we had all control over all those pieces. And even now the control over the transportation part. And I, I think one of the structural advantages there is the fact that all of these pieces are coordinated through technology. And so, um, with Shipium, what we're trying to do is, is build this horizontal platform because we want to be able to provide customers with the ability to coordinate among all these stages and and use things like at the very end when you understand how much does it cost to ship from point a to point b that really needs to affect decisions you make all the way up the supply chain in both the predictive and non and and decision making way and so i i i think um that's super critical to making the whole thing go that technology and that coordination among all those stages and then just to add a little bit more in i mean these are things that happen in real time so it all needs to be automated which kind of leans into the technology. So I, I think that all together is really the, the stuff that made it all go. Obviously, on top of that, you also need a great operations team, you need operational excellence, and you need commitment to the customer from that side also. Yeah, I think you, you, you talked about it a, a lot uh, there without without mentioning the words. It's something that you wrote about uh, in a blog post a couple months ago. I think it's just push versus pull thinking. Just you know, explain what that is and how the change at Amazon made such a big difference, and why so many other big retailers have have caught on and started doing the same. 
Yeah, I, th- I just think that, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, from a very early point, Amazon was very, very focused on the customer and very focused on, we want to bring we want to bring this great experience to our customers. And I think when you start with that as a frame, as a framework, it's a really good way to, it's, it's a very powerful concept. And I think I, I just want to emphasize the the one thing I took away from Amazon was this was not a, a lip service or PR type of thing. It was actually customers. They really were concerned about what was, what was right for the customers, what benefited the customers. And I think the, the, the supply chain kind of naturally fell out of that, you know, and, and prime fell out of that. We really were, we were kind of starting with this point of view of, of what a customers want. And, and this, this notion evolved of they want two day shipping. This, this is really what they want. They want to be able to get their stuff fast. They want to know when they're going to get it. Um, and then you start with that as this framework and you say, how do you build a supply chain that actually fits that? And, you know, it starts with how you manage your carriers. It then backs up to, how do you flow inventory through the network? And then it goes back to, to decisions that happen weeks and weeks prior around where you position inventory. But all that stuff developed in the sense of, of this is what we need to do to make our customers happy. Let's build the rest of the supply chain up from there based on that requirement. Um, and then it, the great thing about it was the virtuous, the cycle that it created. I mean, you had, technology that was doing things that we didn't think were going to be possible 10 years ago. And you had operations accomplishing things that, that we didn't think were going to, that was possible, right? I mean, new highs in both areas in terms of, of what you can actually do when you're anchored on what does the customer want? Jason, Amazon's got a a hell of a head start. Um, They've been, they've been at this for, you know, 25 years now. What, what advantages does Amazon have that can be matched and what Amazon advantages should others just not try to go after? Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, there's, like I mentioned earlier, there's lots of different ways to buy. There's lots of different reasons that people buy things, but Amazon has a lot of infrastructure. Obviously. Um, I said they, they're vertically integrated and very coordinated. Um, but you know, I think there's, there's companies that have been able to to start competing. I mean, I think, you know, companies like Chewy, which owns the, the, um, the, the more than half of the pet food segment. Mm -hmm. Um, but by all accounts, you know, they, they're dealing with very, very hard things from an e-commerce perspective, but they were so laser focused on the, the customer, the pet owner, the amount, the amount customers care about that, that they were able to create a comparable experience and also meet the needs of, of people that, that tend to be very, very passionate about their pet and what they're buying for their pet. And so I, I think, um, you know, I, I think if you go at it as I'm going to just try to compete with Amazon at face value, um, it's going to be difficult. You know, there's obviously going to be the Walmarts and the, the Amazons of the world and, and those two are going to go at it. But, you know, there's, there's a huge gap between that and, and also having the technology to, to be able to put all this together and, and, and get stuff, create a, your own supply chain experience that's comparable. So I, I think there's a lot of room in the market for everybody in general. And I, I think that, that, um, competition is great. Like adding more and more pressure on the e-commerce market, making it better from all fronts is going to benefit everyone, benefit the customer, the consumer. Jason, I'm glad you said that there's a lot of room for everyone because I, just, I want to show this chart. You've seen it, the, the e-marketer charts, the top 10 online retailers, uh, whenever the team shows it up. It shows this head start that Amazon has, right? $330 billion or something uh, in that range. And they're bigger than the next nine competitors. But 
the thing I want to mention here is that when I see this chart, I think a lot about uh, Tesla's EV market share, right? They have a dominant EV market share in the U.S., something like 75-80%. That's coming down naturally mm -hmm. as more people buy more EVs and the EV industry grows out of its infancy. They should be comparing Tesla's market share to the overall retail market share. Eventually, they will be, but uh, and and to the overall car industry, right? The same way that we may should be looking at Amazon as a portion of all of retail. And my my question, I guess, to follow that is, like, can Amazon maintain this lead, or or is this is this just a wrong way to look at it? And we should be looking at Amazon as a portion of total retail. Um, I, I think both are going to happen. The 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 it's very very clear, especially coming off the pandemic, that the 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 market for the e-commerce market is going to continue to grow. Like any question on is this a legit way that people want to shop is answered. And so I think you have um, I think there's a lot of room to compete with Amazon on a lot of fronts. I think people need to bring up their logistics and technology offering to be competitive. I think they need to um, you know start start thinking of e-commerce as a first class channel that they they want to they want to bring forward and, and be competitive. They need to think about their delivery experience as something that, that is competitive and an advantage for them. And, um, but I, but I think there's room on both fronts. I think, I think the, the overall TAM, the overall addressable market of e-commerce is going to continue to grow. And then I think on the other side, I think there's a lot of room for these companies to start eating into Amazon's overall market share, um, as they, as they start to put into place their own, excellent delivery experience and customer experience. So speaking of investment, I think you had a, it was on a LinkedIn post, you talked about using CapEx to eventually lower OpEx, at least your, your, your cost per unit. And you had a comment that said, it doesn't take as much capital investment to reduce outbound shipping operating expenses as you might think. Can you add a little color to that? Yeah, I just think, you know, typically you can, even with, so I'll back up a little bit. I'll, I'll kind of go into it. First of all, I'm a big believer that once companies reach a certain size, it's critical and important that they take on their own fulfillment because in general, the customer experience is so tied to the delivery experience that you need to be kind of controlling and managing that on your own. And because shipping and supply chain is such a critical part of, of the cost structure of the company, it needs to be something that you're managing actively. And so thinking that you're going to be able to grow into a a great retailer and completely ignore your e-commerce, the e-commerce side of your, the, the delivery and logistics side of your business, I, I feel like is a fallacy, um, that some companies fall into, but they eventually figure it out and realize that they need to bring their own delivery experience in house so that they can control it. It's, it's equivalent to, you know, if you want to provide an excellent customer experience, you need to control and run it. I feel like delivery experience and logistics is just as important to that in terms of how people view their online shopping experience. So with that being said, um, I think that that it's the, the number I like to quote is probably you can reach 60 to 70 percent of the U.S. with two day with three fulfillment centers, kind of the using the West Coast, the Northeast and and the Midwest. And so I, I think starting with that as a baseline and then having excellent technology on top of that to tie it to your customer experience, you're, you're in a really good position to, to, um, to actually start bringing forward a customer experience that's differentiated for you and ultimately provides long-term stickiness with your customers.
Jason, the only thing I can think of, you know, hearing you say that was Shopify was like these these big businesses that are doing, you know, fulfillment through Shopify. They're running their whole sites through Shopify. They're, I think they, you know, they have tens of millions of dollars in revenue each year through a Shopify website. Like what, what what's what's the defense on Shopify's side here? Like, I, you know, I'm just saying you're thinking that at, a, at one size, it's critical to take on your own fulfillment. But I think Shopify is doing a pretty decent job here of, of, of doing that at, at scale. So, you know, what what's the dynamic there? Well, I mean, I think if you look at um, fulfillment wise, I think when you're small, um, you know, when you're below that $50 million, say, um, I think it, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense. That's a really good spot for 3PLs, et cetera. This is when you get to a, but everyone, if, if things go well, you're going to start growing. And as you get bigger, you've got enough scale that you don't want to be consolidating scale with, you don't want someone else to be using your scale to consolidate. You want to use your own scale. To, to get leverage and benefit from that. And, um, I think Shopify is very aware that, that they even their fulfillment network is, is targeting smaller merchants who, who want to offload this while they develop their brand and product. And then once you get to a certain size, the expectation would be that maybe you supplement with that. But in general, um, you're probably going to want to leverage the fact that you have enough scale to move that onto your own and, and really bring it in house as part of your, your, as part, a core part of your customer experience and delivery experience. I see. That's a, that's a really good way to frame it. I, I think that, we, you know, we've talked about e-commerce here for, for, for 20 minutes now. We haven't mentioned returns one time, the kind of one of the biggest pain points of, <laughs> of e-commerce. Like what, you know, what, what can we do to make it better? I've, I've talked a lot about at least on this show and on through, through my other shows here is that I think, on our, on our, in our industry, we focus so much on how can we make the returns process seamless and frictionless and, and free and easy, but we don't focus on how to just minimize the amount of returns. How do we create, you know, I think it's in the pre-transaction focus rather than the post-transaction focus, you know, giving better imaging, better descriptions, such things of this nature, 3D uh, and AR testing. You know, what, what else can we do from, uh, from an industry perspective to, to get a grap- grapple on returns? Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it. I think there's, there's, there's naturally going to always be returns. I don't consider returns inherently to be a defect. I think you have to kind of look at why they returned it. And it's, it's a, um, the, if the reason is, is that the website is not accurately describing what it is or misleading in some way, then, then definitely you have, you know, a, a, a shopping experience component that you should be working on. I mean, at Amazon, we had a, a feedback loop between when people were returning things for, for kind of those reasons that were because they didn't understand what they were buying, um, or they were, they were not getting the information they needed from the website, trying to communicate that back to the customer and make sure. Um, I think, you know, other reasons are like it's, it's, it's broken or damaged when it gets there. Right. And that's stuff that, that you should be focused on fixing in your logistics stack. Um, but I, I think there's also this, whatever you do on that front, there's always going to be some amount of, I changed my mind, you know, mm-hmm. after buying it, it triggered something that made me change my mind. And so I guess my, my Uber point on this is just that I think you should continuously invest in ways to, to get people to buy the right thing. Like things like, um, sizing is great. There's a lot of energy right now going into different ways of, that companies are looking at to improve that versus, you know, using historical size data and patterns as well as even modeling the human body and 
and kind of how things will fit on you that that level of granularity both are both are super cool and 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 should definitely be something that that companies and startups continue to focus on um the other side though i think it's when you do change your mind or you do make the decision i think it's really important that retailers consider this to be something that consumers do care about customers want to be able to return seamlessly and not get a lot of flack from it and and i think um just in the spirit of of kind of me talking a lot about long-term value and delivery experience and how it makes customers sticky. I think having a consistent, predictable, fast delivery experience makes your, makes your customer base sticky, but so does seamless returns to some degree, you know, and I think it's important that you make that process really easy because you don't want the next time they're thinking about buying something to be like, well, last time I had to, I had to, it was a real pain in the ass to return this thing. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out and I'm, I'm going to buy it from somewhere else where I know I can get the returns. And so I think classic case of, of kind of short term thinking by trying to cut costs on the returns and and block returns. I think you're, you're much better off um, having a fairly reasonable policy that lets people come back and, and change their mind after the fact. Yeah. It's pretty simple to see why Amazon has partnered with Kohl's and well, I mean, they, how, why they leverage the Whole Foods spaces yeah. and leverage UPS spaces for returns. I, I, I wanted to ask you about this because this is um, something I've been covering, you know, at least recently with the huge raise from, um, oh Lord, um, from GoPuff. Uh, it's just kind of this new emerging, yeah. this emerging space in retail, this emerging space in e-commerce, this rapid delivery of 30 minutes or an hour of three to 5,000 SKUs. Like, do you, uh, you know, Amazon's going to be chasing this. They're going to be getting there. They're building, uh, yeah. they're building, you know, hundred thousand square foot fast moving SKU, um, uh, uh, warehouses just outside their bigger ones to enable them to be able to meet this. Like what, what do you make mm-hmm. of the space yeah. and, and how is Amazon going to play in it? Um, you know, I think there's just a, there's just a class of products and customer needs that match that profile. And just like everything else, there's a, there's a share of wallet in retail. People spend their dollars on on all these different things for different reasons and um there's segments that amazon has done great at in terms of capturing you know electronics and and obviously media books whatnot mm-hmm. um all those things and they seem to work really well in that in that two-day window you know i mean that's that's where you've got this dominance but there's just things like diapers and and medicine and, you know, food and, and these everyday essential items that you sometimes just need now. And so I think thinking back to what, what matters to the customer, it's just like, if you do not provide that, that experience that meets what they need, they are not going to use your service, right? They're going to, they're just going to go to the store because you just can't wait two days. And so I think it's a, you know, it's a part of the, it's a part of the, um, e-commerce, uh, addressable market. And I think that it's, it's, if you're going to continue to kind of move share of wallet into the e-commerce space, you've got to continue to invest in that stuff. Um, I think my general take on it as a, as more of a supply chain geek, right. Is just mm-hmm. that, uh, I think that method of, of limiting the selection down to a certain amount is probably the most realistic for actually, um, being able to make that whole process efficient and, and, um, uh, you know, consolidated enough to actually be able to make the cost structure work. So I think, I think you, you obviously have to give up a little on the selection side if you're going to present that kind of, uh, speed. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. And I love the I just love the vertical integration like portion of it, of actually owning the inventory, being able to make a margin on inventory and not have to make your margin on delivery uh, on the gig economy workers. I think it's it's a it's a solid move. And I think I think it's gonna be great. I'm very yeah. much looking forward to GoPuff uh, arriving here in Chattanooga. I'll be using mm-hmm. it. All right, uh, we only have a couple minutes here, Jason. I definitely want to, you know, give you a shout out. You guys just raised raised some money. Uh, you got some big name investors coming in with you. Uh, I want to talk to you about Daryl Cavins, and you know, and I know you you have some connection to Zulily with um, with Mac. But just you know, what's the importance of bringing him on board? You also got good friends. They're just D- DTC kings over there uh, with with Warby Parker and Harry's and, and Allbirds. So just tell me about the new, you know, the expertise that was brought on board and what you guys are planning to do with the money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you when you go through a, a raise, right? There's there's a couple re- there's a couple things that matter. Obviously, terms matter. Um, you know, in terms of dilution and and all those other financial factors. But you're also trying to bring in people that ultimately help you make help give you some help in making the company successful. And so, um, yeah, we leaned into you know, I I, I think. Uh, Jeff Rader and the guys over at Good Friends have been a tremendous value in terms of understanding the market as we went through the the product market fit phase of our product. And so having them on board to help with our uh, how we're thinking about the business and what someone in that space really needs has been critical. Um, you know, obviously Mac has deep roots with Zuli, was there very early and and thinks very highly of of Daryl and his his kind of contribution to what he can bring to the business. Um, and then, so, you know, I think that's, that was all in play when we tried to put the round together. Um, I think as far as what we're doing, you know, we, we spent obviously the first year and a half of this company just figuring out what we want to build and, and what the market needs. And so that involved a lot of calls to customers and really trying to understand what segment we're targeting, et cetera. And we're now at a point where, um, we, we've leaned into this platform the software is running live in, at customers now, and um, we're at a point where we want to start scaling the business. And so, this is really about, um, you know, bringing in some help on the on the sales and go to market side, and then also significantly beefing up the engineering team so that we can go both wider on the platform and go deeper into some of these areas that we've that we've been focused on. Yeah, makes uh, makes total sense given you and Max background, uh, leading leading by engineer hiring hiring engineers. All right, man. This has been awesome, Jason. Thank you so much for the time. Hey, give a, give give the people listening a shout out where they should go learn more about Shipium. Uh, if you guys have any jobs open, where should they go and apply? What's up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shipium.com. You should be able to get there. There's uh, plenty of information about what we're doing and um, some blogs and uh, that we write regularly about how we're thinking about this. And then Shipium.com slash jobs. Uh, we keep our most of our current open posts there. So thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Yeah, you're very welcome. We also have a bunch of jobs open at Freightways, people. Uh, so go to, I think it's freightways.com slash hiring. Uh, check out the jobs there. Or just type in Freightways jobs on Google. You can find them all. That's been it for episode 17. This has been a really fun one. I learned a lot in this one. Uh, everyone, make sure to go subscribe to the Point of Sale newsletter. If you haven't yet, you can find that at freightways.com slash POS. And go ahead and subscribe to Point of Sale, the podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation today, you can check out all the other ones we have. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as Freightways TV. So you can find everything there. We will be back live. Actually, nope, next week we have the uh, we have a, a virtual summit, the North American Logistics Tech Summit next Wednesday. So join us for that at 9 a.m. We'll see you then. 